Hello again, and welcome to Three Wise DMs, where three dungeon masters who've been doing this for way too long talk about how to be a better dungeon master, have a better game. I'm Thorin. Uh, I guess I'm the leader of this expedition, and I'm joined by... Tony. And Dave. I'm still here. They haven't kicked me out yet. Oh, uh, it's coming. Oh, uh, great podcast. Did great work today. We'll most likely kill you in the morning. I bribed them with magical items in the last session, so that's keeping me here sometime. Mm -hmm. All right. So today we are building on top of our last conversation. If you were with us last week, we talked about what are some kinds of problem players and how to handle them. So what kinds of players give us problems? Not to say the problem is necessarily the player, not us. Um, but what gives us trouble when players do it? And that's going to lead into today's conversation. We're going to talk about the different types of players because as you know as dave has mentioned on a few occasions there's more than one type of player and it is a matter of understanding how to deal with them individually so you know dave you've really kind of been you you've been exploring this a lot as you've been dming and running your games why don't you uh you know what do you think this topic is about it is the it's the the most excellent topic to ever have been discussed on a podcast in the history of internet radio so you're welcome, Earth. Uh, but no, in all seriousness, it's actually something uh, because I'm a big fan of uh, what uh, some in the D&D community call lonely fun, uh, which is reading all of the D&D books. Um, I know Tony, I know Thorne have done it uh, when we were kids. We read through, you know, the first edition, second edition, stuff, three, four, five times, right? Just keep going back. I see the first edition stuff now and I just get nostalgic. Oh my God, I remember that picture. But reading, I the, never... reading the books in solo character creation. Who who made a oh hundred characters yeah. in Binder? I can't mm. even remember how many characters <laughs> there were, right? Um, but I was reading, uh, I never played uh, 4E. Um, uh, as we know, uh, we talk a lot about 4E. I haven't actually played it, but I did read uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide for it because of all of the lore that's there. And one of the really cool things that I thought they did was they broke down the types of players. Uh, now, I always remembered it as five types, but they broke it out, excuse me, into eight types of players. Um, and I think it shows when people are coming to the table, everyone comes for something different. And what might seem like a problem player is someone that's just not getting what they're coming for. And so I think that this was a great build on that in terms of seeing it's not necessarily that uh, that they uh, you can't have them be really invested in your game and, and part of the campaign. But are you giving them what they are really juiced on? Well, one of the player types uh, is the watcher. And I feel that that problem, that type of character or the player rather uh, can be a little problematic because they're passive. Like, then you're a game, you throw out the hook, and, like, some people are biting, they're doing this, and you're doing that. And you have this other player who's kind of just in the background, chilling, and they, you're not really getting your bang for your buck out of that player. And in my experience, the way to really handle this, I have to ask myself, is that character properly cast? Are they in a, are they in a class, do they have a background that really suits their style? That's a way to handle that, to bring them into the game sometimes really even a decent backstory can liven them up and uh bring them on board so let's let's set the scene a little bit by kind of just going over <laughs> real quick yeah. 
We what, should add to what this what we are talking about, right? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so and this is the what 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 I marvel about the most from this fourth edition resource is that the fourth edition DMG broke out what are these eight different types of players and how to make eight different types of players satisfied. But then fourth edition as a as a system only allows you to satisfy the power gamer. <laughs> the system yeah, like like this document The irony. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe this is in the fourth edition DMG. And actually I do remember it because it's funny. The fourth edition DMG is very good about giving you depth of how to run a game. It's much like the fifth edition one was they did. They did. They took the same philosophy to it, that that book is going to be not how you play, but how do you build a world and how do you run the world and how do you make it flexible and adapt to your players? Unfortunately, fourth edition's main system was so power focused and almost like a, like a, like a minis game or a card game that really, if you are not a power gamer or a thing, you were not going to enjoy it. And now those may, I know those make no sense to you listening yet if you haven't read the book, but here's what it is. The eight kinds of the eight player types I talk about are the actor, someone who likes to really get into the character and act and they emphasize character development that has nothing to do with numbers and powers. Um, although, as I said, fourth edition, you didn't have character development that didn't have to do with numbers and powers. Um, the explorer who likes to explore new places in the fantasy world, the instigator who enjoys making things happen. The instigator has no patience for careful planning or deliberation. They open the obviously trapped chest just to see what happens, which is funny. Cause you know, when I read instigator, I thought in a different direction with it. Um, we'll get to that mm. in a second. Yeah. Yeah. The power gamer, which is what I would argue is a lot of one of the ones that that fourth edition was really catering to, which is the power gamer is all about gaining levels and loot and they kill monsters to take their stuff, not for story closure. The Slayer, the Slayer, they, they, quoting this here, is like the Power Gamer, but they're easier to please. Literally the book's words, she is even easier to please. She emphasizes picking the car out of monsters. Maybe she does so to let off a little steam in a safe way, or she likes the joy of feeling superior. So, you know, there's the Slayer and the Power Gamer, who were both, the system catered to them very well by giving you a lot of ways to pull out and do power moves and, and like basically build your power set to have combos and do neat things that would be cool at the magic, the gathering table, but got a little bit repetitive at a D and D table, in my opinion. <coughs> and I know, I think, I think I speak for Tony when I say that as well. I'm afraid um, too. Then you have the storyteller. The storyteller prefers the narrative of the game to their individual character motivations and personalities. I will say like some of these, I can see, I can think of play, people we've played with who were like this. I've known storytellers. I've known instigators. There's the thinker. The thinker likes to make careful choices, reflecting on challenges and the best way to overcome them. I am probably like at least 65% a thinker <laughs> when I'm playing. Um, and then there's the player Tony talks about the watcher and quote, a watcher is a casual player who comes to the game because he wants to be a part of the social event. A watcher might be shy or just really laid back. They want to participate, but he doesn't really care if he's deeply immersed and he doesn't want to be assertive or too involved in the details of the game rules or story. I think we can all think of players like that. And, you know, as Tony was addressing kind of, okay, you know, can they come into the game and play the proper role or do they kind of derail things by being a little bit of dead weight? And it is, Tony, as you were saying, it is really important, I think, to put some of these roles into the right character class and situation. A watcher is probably not going to be a very good wizard in D&D 5th edition because the wizard has to think very critically about the spell selection. However, I have found more casual players do like being barbarians because a barbarian is pretty easy. You know, you rage, you get hard to kill, and you go smash things, you roll high, you, things die, everyone's everyone's happy. Um but yeah, that's just solid gold. I mean, isn't I that what we were just 
that's kind of what we were just talking about, though, a perfect example of uh, I call it sometimes either watcher or the audience member. I've had people uh, yeah. I've heard people call it. But we were just talking uh, prior to us going live here about the Strahd campaign uh, and how Tony has played in four editions of Ravenloft. Um, he has read I Strahd, the autobiography. He knows what is happening in the world. So even if the 5e Curse of Strahd has added some stuff. Uh, he knows the general plot of everything that's happening. So he took a barbarian. Mm-hmm. He is not, uh, as you guys know, he's the Hulk Hogan character, <laughs> um, <laughs> thinly veiled. Uh, but he's he, took a, he specifically said he's taking a, a role where he doesn't have to be the explorer or the thinker. He just gets to sit back, see everything starting to unfold kind of like a movie and still be part of the action when he needs to be, where he's just crushing through people or putting, you know, suplexes on them. Well, you know, I would actually say that Tony in this game is specifically, but kind of in, in many games is the actor and, and Tony. So, so let me just kind of lay out kind of why I think that, and let me know if you agree, right. uh, p- provide. So, so the way they describe actor is they like to pretend to be their character, emphasize character development. That has nothing to do with numbers and powers, trying to make their character seem to be a real person in the fantasy world, which I would argue Hulk does, but more so their bullet points are provides PC background that emphasizes personality plays according to their character's motivations, prefers scenes where they can portray their character, often prefers social encounters to fights. I don't know if that goes for Tony and Hawk, because I will say these roles often, I feel like, apply like 60% here, 30% there. Um, That's a good point, though, Thorne, is that there's not a... uh, I don't think anyone is one thing out of these. Generally, just like personality traits, we're a mixture of them. But Tony, do you feel like that's how how you've been playing Hawk? I don't think that's that far off, honestly. But my experience with the actors sometimes, it's a real double-edged sword. Sometimes, mm. I think I said in the previous podcast, someone like that can come in and really just change the momentum of your game, the feel of the table, and bring everybody together because you have one guy who's kind of like the pot is like the good actor on the show, like everybody likes, but he's got enough supporting actors surrounding this person where it, now you have real chemistry. On the other hand, I've been in plenty of situations where someone just starts monologuing and there's nothing <laughs> quite like being stuck in somebody's own personal tangent for 10 minutes. And I'm like, oh, my Why God, at just bomb. some of these guys really could take anything and make it into a whole event. And that's great if we're trying to stretch out material. And I guess it also depends upon your character. uh or the DM's goals. If they're sitting around and they're like, hey, I'm just going to throw you XP for role-playing. Well, fuck. Let's sit down and you know, uh, role-play, guys. <laughs> like, here I am in this tavern. Who's in here? But if they're like, nah, you didn't get to here or you didn't kill all these frost giants, then no, we got to get the show rolling. See, I do like having a character, an actor character, uh, an actor player mm-hmm. in the party because of my DMing style. You know, if oftentimes I want to come in and throw it back to the party and kind of ask them what they want to do and let them drive the, you know, kind of drive the vehicle. We've talked about this. I think I'm actually working on an article about this. The idea that whose story is it really, is it mine is the DM or is it the player's story? Is it the player's character story? And I'm just running the world. So in that kind of situation, a character with that kind of like actor motivation plays really well because they'll let me kick it back to them to drive the plot, which I like. 
Same true of the Explorer in a lot of cases, although for the Explorer, I do have to be ready and I got to know when I'm going to serve them up because, you, you know, they're going to open up a lot of new territory that I didn't expect them to get to. But that is why I do it that way, because I do feel like that allows me to adapt to that kind of player. Um, you can corral that to a point, though, right? You yeah, but you don't want to. Because they can only travel so far at a you given know, time. I don't want to corral anything about what the players want to do. I want to, I want to empower them by and large. If it's disruptive, that's different. Uh, you mentioned Tony mentioned the actor can be a double-edged sword. Sometimes the actor is so invested in their character that they're very, they, they have a, they like they have a little bit of a controlling interest in the world. And that's the kind of character who can come in and tell you, I don't like the way this other character, this other player is playing their character, which to me is a no. Okay. Yeah, that, that's, they don't right. get to, like that's kind of, I think kind of a double-edged sword on that. When the actor's like, well, I'm really into this, and this is how I see things working, and the way that player's doing it really ruins what I have in mind. And as a DM, then that's when I, that's the only place I'm going to rein an actor in. An explorer, yeah, keep giving them stuff to do. An instigator, just got to be ready. You got to be quick. And actually, if you have an instigator, I might, I might advise having a some random tables available to answer the kooky things they do. Most people, I think, when we can break these down, and I took those eight, and I, in essence, broke them down into five. Now, you can go on to, uh, you can go on Google and just look up types of role-playing uh, players or whatever. You know, Google is something out, and you'll come up with the three types, the eight types, the 25 types, and it's, you know, everyone has their thing. But I think with with uh, what 4E was doing, because I really like that, as I was saying, but I broke it down into, I think they, they repeated some, kind of like some of the commandments, you know, it's just they're saying the same thing twice, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, but like, for instance, the actor storyteller, kind of the same thing, because they're going after the same thing, which is to create story, character mm -hmm. development, their favorite TV show, right? Uh, you have the explorer slash thinker. They're interested in the world. They're interested in how it works, the puzzles that might be in it. Uh, the instigator, which I disagree with with Thorin. I, I didn't look at it as that. I look at it as um, the perfect example is one we laugh at all the time, which is my girlfriend Bonnie when she plays, which is uh, she's perfect for if you guys have seen the meme going around about the uh, Thorin, what was it called? The impulse stat, I think. Yeah, I don't know how wider right. that meme got, but there was something we shared on uh, the Three Wise DM channels that D&D &D should have an impulse stat that runs from 1 to 10. 1 means you do immediately anything you, you think of doing, and 10 means you're thoughtful and you wait and you consider and you always do the right thing. Or maybe you overthink things. You know, maybe five, maybe the right thing is like 4 to 6. Uh, so yeah, so an impulsiveness to, to kind of shake things up. Yeah, because it's it's so that because if something isn't happening, if the party is just talking about doing something for the 15 minutes, she goes and does something, which usually gets us into trouble. But that's part of the fun of it. Right. Mm, so I don't look at true. it as necessarily necessarily a negative. But, uh, no, I don't see it, I don't see it as a negative. But if we're going to think about it, I mean, if I'm thinking about it from the point of view of how do I prep and what kind of advice can I give? So each of these, you know. Each of these player types, now, the way 4th Edition approached it is they told you what they like, then how to engage them, then be sure they don't, so how to control them. Um, for the most part, to me, when I think about player types, what I'm thinking about is, okay, how do I need to prep coming into the game to engage them? Um, so a little bit this. I don't worry too much about what not to let them do, although maybe I should worry more, because obviously you don't want things running off the rails. But so when I'm going through these player types, I think 
to me, I think that the, the DM tip here, the, the, the real actionable advice out of this is think about who your characters are and then how do you build your game, who your players are, and then how do you build the game to engage those players with these different types? So to give a little more insight like on how I see some of these characters, we have some watchers in the, I think we have some watchers in the writer's group game. And the trick yeah. there is to give them room to expand. Now, one of them kind of picked a, a ranger, which if I, if I knew better, I wouldn't have probably done because that's a hard character to play in fifth edition. And it is difficult in that, in that character and that player is already a little bit stepped back. And then it's hard for them to really kind of think about how can I play well with a ranger? They're a beast yeah. master ranger. It's not an optimized build. You got to know what you want to do in order to play it effectively. And it gets to be difficult sometimes. So engaging the watcher, I think, is telling an interesting story, giving them chances to shine. I call on them occasionally in places where I don't think it's going to make them uncomfortable, which is what's tricky. Because with a watcher, oftentimes you have a little bit of a shyness issue where they don't want to either shyness or they can feel like this is someone else's game. I'm, I'm, I'm a visitor here. So calling on them and letting them impact the game in ways they're comfortable doing is important. Ideally, you'd like to push them out to take more ownership of the game, but you need to be careful because there's plenty of players who come in as watchers who will be uncomfortable. And we're all here to have fun. You don't want to push anyone out of a comfort zone. They don't want to leave. Um, you know, when I look at the kind of player, actually, if I'm looking at these storytellers, I will say there's a there's a time recently where I think kind of I had a storyteller I didn't cater to well enough that kind of that, that, that broke up a game because the storyteller is more interested in different than the actor according to this and that the actor's more interested in their character and playing their character the storyteller is more interested in the story you're telling them and with the kind of system i'm playing with the way i'm dming i'm not engaging a storyteller with a really tightly written story i'm playing a story that reacts to the players and the storyteller is looking for you to give them the story and that is something that actually becomes a weak spot for me as a dm so i mean as you guys look these over what do you think what are your strengths and weaknesses when you're dming these kinds of players do you, do you prep differently for them well, the storyteller can be tricky because sometimes I think you already touched on this a little bit, but their their backstory, especially if it's a really involved backstory, they're like, well, I'm the prince of the realm and I should be involved in this. And then all of a sudden, like I'm running my story and then I'm trying to, it's like another planet in the orbit, you know, you're juggling. Uh, the instigator I've had uh, a lot of success with because mm. they can make really just while the actor, it can really be fantastic and start making the players all hit other beats themselves, the instigator will do something kooky, something unexpected, <laughs> something dangerous. And next thing you know, this encounter is triggered. I know Thorn was in a campaign with, with yeah. me at one point, and this ranger just fucked with this impossibly bad monster at a, at a really unopportune time. And it's like, well, guys, this is happening. You know, <laughs> the puck's been dropped. Deal with it. And... <laughs> There was some casualties, but it was really a um, it was a very uh, memorable event. But what about didn't it, is it, but isn't that also the same kind of player who burned down your pixies to go yes. back to a previous episode that one of the one of the real challenge games one of the hard one of the games you had we were into a problem was it was an evil campaign you had pixies hidden in a house that had essential information and the characters burned the house down with the pixies inside and never got the info. And my answer to that is when you're evil, you could be the scheming, plotting, conniving evil, or you're just chaotic, <laughs> evil, stupid. The joke. That, yeah. It is lighting money on fire because he thinks it's funny. <laughs> well, with that said, right, with that said, in terms of the instigator that way, is that what are we, 
Now, this does not give license to all of you to now become instigators and just, oh, I'm going to do something crazy because it's memorable. But what we are saying is all of these instigator stories we talk about are stories that we're talking about years and years later. Oh, my God. Do you remember when dot, dot, dot? Uh, somebody had said at one point I was listening and they said that D&D was not uh, what was happening at the table. D&D is what happened after when the game ended. It's the stories that were told, you know, the war stories, right? Or the I caught a fish this big. It is so um, much Hamilton. It is who lives, who dies and who tells the story. It's not sorry. even funny. Oh, that is I entirely watched it. I watched it this game weekend. lives yeah. and dies depending on who died in it and who tells the story after the fact. It's very true. It's very true. So. Um, yeah, instigators, I think that's an interesting one because it, it can be taken in several different ways. Um, one thing I will say, uh, going back to the watcher audience member idea, uh, because yeah, Thorne, I agree with you entirely. Uh, the, um, one of the more audience members, uh, in the authors group took a class that really got incredibly involved, mm -hmm. um, which we kind of talked about in a previous episode about maybe pushing new players away from ones that you have to make 8,000 decisions for. But um, I think some of what happens with that, especially if it's new players, is that they don't know their power as a player. They don't understand. We talk about the elite. You can do anything. You know, Tony was talking about this in a, in a previous episode where you can do anything and, oh, well, I'd like to look at the menu then. What kind of mutton do you have, right? But they don't necessarily understand. No, Pete. <laughs> yeah, the Pete. They don't necessarily understand what that means. So the audience member or the watcher could just be waiting for the right impetus to turn into the actor, the storyteller, the explorer, the power game, whatever but they might not understand that they can do that and that it's okay because, because RPGs are so different from everything else. Right. I mean, it's kind of like, if you look at some of these, like you were saying, Dave, sometimes in some ways they shake down to less than eight different types. The, yeah. in some ways, the storyteller and the watcher are a little bit similar in that they're both there to enjoy the story and kind of let the story play out. I think the storyteller is going to be more involved in its telling, but they're there for the plot, for the story, for, for the character, for the character development in the narrative. They're not necessarily there for the, okay, how can I use my powers in a cool way? They're both yeah. there more to enjoy, almost enjoy the kind of show the DM puts on, which is a little bit, as I look at these types, something I think becomes important to understand. Some players are coming to a game looking for the DM to put on a show. Honestly, I'm not really the right DM. For Don't go players. to Thorin's game, guys. Yeah, I mean, Don't go to Thorin's game. I might put on a show. I might not. <laughs> the bottom line is what I'm going to do more of is say, okay, here's yeah. the setup. What do you do? What are you going <laughs> to do? Yeah, yeah. What do Absolutely. you do is my favorite word as a DM. Do whatever. I don't care what you pick, but I'm going to get kick it back to you. I'm not going to have a story driving. That. I'm going to try to get you to drive that so I can I can kind of engage with you that way and empower you to tell these character stories in the world that has these threats. Um, but it's a tricky it's not it doesn't engage the storyteller well. It's a little tricky with a watcher where they're not going to engage back with me that way. Even power. OK, power gamers are easy for me to deal with, I think, because part of the way I do that is I do put a. I'm good at encounter building, I think, and building engaging and tricky encounters. And my combats tend to go on for a while because part of what happens is you wind up in a situation 
that if you engage in the combat, it's going to be a little more complicated. It's not just here's six goblins, go kill them. It's going to be, there's got, you, you stumbled into a box canyon because of some rolls or you forgot something. Goblins are shooting down at you from above. Yeah. Now there's two bears that are being chased into the canyon by goblins with goads who are coming after you. Like it's going to be that kind of thing. I'm going to try to do something that puts the players in a, in a problem they have to solve creatively or blow their way out of it if they can. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I would agree with that. Being a player in the game, I would agree with that's how you're now. I would say I would be interested to see because I haven't unfortunately seen you DM a group of all experienced players. So it would be interesting to see how that changes some because your encounter building does seem to be pretty uh pretty airtight. But again, I would say I would love to see it with a group of very experienced players or all power gamers or something, yep. right? I wouldn't conf I wouldn't describe it as airtight because the thing is it's almost a it's almost a different philosophy, you know. Like Tony's encounter, Tony often builds an encounter specifically to get through it kind of quickly, move you on to the next thing. I'm building an encounter to do the opposite. I'm building an encounter to give you a problem to solve to enjoy for this part of the session. So like, there are different goals and there are different ways mm. of DMing these things that engage different players differently. So it's not really it can be an experience versus newbie kind of thing. But it's also the kind of player that it resonates the best with. Now, one of the interesting things that I find is that 4th edition pitched this and 5th edition doesn't pitch player types. And I think one of the things that was part and parcel of the way 4th edition approached DMing was 4th edition expected the DM to be the player who was responsible for everyone's fun. That's why 4th edition has these eight player types, because 4th edition is telling you that you as a DM need to adapt to engage and control all these different player types. They cut that in third in fifth edition. Fifth edition just talks about what kind of campaign do you want to run, and it has a section on play styles for the campaign. But fifth edition isn't telling you you got to run what you, that you should adapt to the players. Fifth edition is telling you be aware of what you want to do and talk about it ahead of time, um, which that's is actually very, I like better. No, that's really interesting. I didn't actually think about that, but as I'm thinking back to the 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 four E manual, they did almost kind of say like, hey guys, the fun is on you. Like you're running this whole carnival. You're the carnival barker. Uh, so make it a good show, you know? Yeah, what do you think of that, Tony? Well, uh, I think a power gamer can be interesting because they're ambitious. They want to level, they want to move the ball in that respect. So I think a slayer or a power gamer, dare I say, would be willing to play ball with you. Now, they may not be super storyline focused. They're like, hey, I want to grind some monsters to dust. And I really do believe there's nothing wrong with a couple of easy encounters. Like, I don't want every encounter to be an absolute pitched battle where you're blowing through all your good spells and um, you're, you're just a train wreck at the end. It's like, oh, we had one battle. Okay, Grandpa, I'm tired. It's time for an eight-hour rest. <laughs> but you know, and you know, know. Tony, when I said that that way, I really didn't mean it to be a pro or con kind of thing. It is just differences in the way you and IDM, you know, like you say, you're, you're trying to kind of have some, you're trying to have some encounters that aren't blowing people out. And then you kind of have kind of, you're kind of building more of a kind of some easy encounters into a climax, right? Theoretically, you know, sometimes my joke with my plot falls as flat as a uh, board, but um, yeah, different characters, different players respond to that, uh, you know, accordingly. I found that Slayers, while they always want to have that combat, for the DM, it gets uh, it, that's where it loses a little bit of flavor. It's like, okay, I pushed a bunch of monsters in front of you. Here's the, like, I'm using the poker chip, you know, slide. Here's mm. more monsters. Here you go. All right, big finish, a lot of monsters. All right, you fight the monsters. I'll be in the bathroom. Let me know how it goes. That's, 
that's not as stimulating as if you had, you know, a, a thinker. Sometimes a thinker can actually add to your game. I've had players, I would write something, I throw some out there, they're like, oh, and they start coming up with these great ideas. Maybe the wizard's up to this. Maybe these guys are up to that. And I'm like, that's a really great idea. I wish I thought of, thought of that. <laughs> that's a new plot point. Thank you. Letting <laughs> the players drive the plot. <laughs> Let me just take that yoink. That's mine now. We'll be doing that thank in two you, games. Thank you very much for your contribution. You'll be noted in the thanks in in in, in the uh, in the in the uh, what do you call it? the the thank you chapter I, I in the book. <laughs> no, I absolutely I agree completely. I've done that, uh, and I continue to where I'll leave certain things open. I want to kind of take a certain plot point somewhere. I don't know where yet, and I wait to see how does the play how does the player how do the players interact with that thing and that oftentimes gives me wild amounts of information to go ooh, that's what i'm gonna do with that yeah you know it's funny you tony you mentioned power gamers i gotta say power gamers i really don't mind at all maybe because it's what most of us were growing up you know it's like power gamers are fine you let them shine you let them do some powerful things you give them some cool stuff they're pretty easy Slayers and power yes. gamers are similar, and I have had that problem with Slayers, where the Slayer almost makes you feel like you're just the computer on a video game. Right. If you want to do some Final Fantasy encounters, we can all run around in circles waiting to be attacked, and we can just grind some <laughs> levels, and that's what you're looking for. Cool. That That's your environment. Um, I found the thinker um, can be a little bit problematic because sometimes you're in the game, and it's like, well, we could do this, but we could do that. We should we should go over here first. Let's prepare. And I like as a story driven DM, I'm like, okay, you can. This is a probably good idea. That's a pretty good idea. This is a side idea. And right now we're kind of going in circles around all three. So it's kind of a shit or get off the pot moment, guys. Well, some of that is is goes back to uh, other things we've talked about before. Like Tony, you started out by talking about how watchers can really pull the wind out of the sails, you know. And I would agree if you have a bunch of watchers and they all just look at you with these empty eyes every time you <laughs> kind of drop a plot point, you know. And they're loving it, but they give you no idea of that. Watchers but, need leaders. Um, yeah, yeah, but with that, um, with all of these types, I think that you're always going to have a mixture around the table, and no one is one specific type. But if you have some of the wrong combinations, it's probably like zodiac signs, you know? If you get mm -hmm. some of the wrong combinations, you're probably, those are, you could probably go back and say, that's why that campaign went that way. Or that's why that campaign was really great, or that's why it, it had had some problems and it kind of washed up, is because the play styles completely canceled each other out and there wasn't enough room to allow anything else to breathe. Yeah. Well, this is where it gets really tricky because as the continuity director of your own story here, you want to cast. I love continuity. It's, that's my that's my that's my uh, thing that we talk about. But you have to you want to cast the right people in the right roles, but at the same time, they want need to want to be in those roles. You, you can't be like, well, all right, I'm typecasting you this. I have friends. I'm like, no, man, you need to be a cleric. Like, he's like, oh, come on. But I'm like, no, you're really freaking good. Like, you should just, you should do this. And that's what the party needs. And that could be a drag for them. And other times, and then they're not a cleric. The cleric we have sucks. And then we all die. And then I'm looking at everybody like, you know, kind of slack-jawed. It's, it's funny because I really do try not to push characters into different roles. 
I will try to adjust what I what I what I encourage them to do based on the roles that they seem to be filling. So we talked about okay, the kind of the newbie, the watcher, these kind of characters that you're like, all right, you know what, you probably don't want to be doing a lot with spell selection. Go here. You know, yeah, it's don't it's be you a know, bard, right? Don't yeah, be don't a bard. be a bard, don't be a wizard, don't be a ranger, because those are just hard and you're gonna need to get into this to 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 play them well. And if you're not the kind of character who does that, great. But I actually, at this point, I don't care if the party has a has a cleric, um, especially in fifth edition, because you don't need a cleric. A bard can heal almost as well as a cleric. Uh, Paladin can heal, although not as well. So you, you, I think you want a bard or a cleric, or now a warlock, because now there's the divine soul warlock who can also heal. But any all those all those uh, classes, they all get access to healing ward. They all get access to bonus healing in one form or another, uh, except for paladin, who really I wish they give paladin healing ward, because then it's like, all right, you know, we don't need a cleric. Just someone play one of these things and make sure you keep everyone alive. Um, mm. But I do think from the role point of view, like I really try to let the players fill their own roles. I don't try to come in and, and kind of typecast them into roles too much. Well, let me put this back to you because I've seen players have a really successful character. Like they had a fighter and that fighter was the bee's knees. And that next campaign, they're another kind of warrior class. And I'm watching them like you're trying to create your last character. And like this is just <laughs> not coming together. Or they're acting like the same kind of badass. And I'm like this, that's great. He, he thinks he's super tough. And for his – in your weight class right now at level two, he's really tough. You're not your other character who is level 18. Like you're you're miles apart. And there's and then they get frustrated. They're like, oh, I want to do all these badass things. But like not yet. Some characters just want to keep playing their – some players just want to keep playing their hits. You know, they just yeah, kind of want to be that wanna... guy. You know, they want to yeah. be Durnan, the fighter that was – yeah. Oh my God, he was so great. Remember back when he ran through the Tomb of Horrors? Yeah, bro, that was single-handedly. <laughs> well, it's tricky though because as a DM, ago. but as a DM, then what do you do? Do you let them play the kind of character? I mean, it's not. Here's a philosophical question. I think is at the root of some of what we're talking about here, and comes up in other places too. To what extent should the DM be influencing the char- the player character choices? You know, if a player comes into your game and he always wants to play the same thing, is it your job or is it even overstepping and intruding when you try to encourage him to play something different? I tend to want to let them do their own thing because, uh, honestly, I don't care. <laughs> like, to me, it's like I don't care if he plays the same thing over and over as so long as he's happy and he's going to engage with it and do it well. I mean, what do you guys think? Do you feel like you're more responsible for that? Well, I, I have to say that I would encourage them. Like, actually, one of the better decisions I made as a player was I was going to pick a character. And then one of my friends came at me. He's like, you know what? Play a dwarf. And I'm like, what? He's like, you've never played a dwarf. Play a freaking dwarf. (laughs) And I'm like, fine. What do you got against dwarves? Nothing. (laughs) And I was a dwarf. And I had a lot of fun. It was actually a blast. And I'm glad I made the decision. But sometimes you have to encourage them to, you know, it's easy. I have friends who played a paladin nine times and they're all playing the same freaking character. And it's kind of drab for everybody. It's a shame. It's like, so or in the rest of us. Yeah. So I, I think it, you should encourage it. Should you play the hard line? I don't recommend it. Dave. No, I, uh, I don't think that you, you should have use you throw out what, what we're going to be doing and you see what they, start to come back to you with. 
Um, I will say, I think this is a good point to bring up uh, something that I've been starting to play with. Um, I totally stole the idea um, and I play with it now for the last two campaigns. It was, as you guys all know, it was a, it was a Matt Colville idea because I feel like he might be my spirit animal. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I thought it was Matt Mercer, but it might be actually Matt Colville, strangely. Or I'm maybe a sure. kangaroo. But, uh, but, but no, anyway, but he had an idea and I did it for the last two times. And he, because it goes back to what Thorne is talking about with who's, who's responsible for the fun, right? Because as a DM, you want to run something that you enjoy, but you want also the players to be able to enjoy it too. So it's the idea of pitching your campaign. Right. So for the last two ones, I brought up, in essence, four or five different campaigns that I would be cool with running. Right. Here are five different scenarios and worlds uh, with different types of, of, of involvement. What do you guys what do you want to play? And from there, you can got to get a, a, a pulse on what are they into? Because if you want to play, if you really want to run like a Game of Thrones kingdom intrigue thing and you got a bunch of fucking power gamers guess what's gonna happen to your campaign they're going to either never come back or kill everyone in the kingdom they're gonna right? be, if, if they're good power gamers they're gonna do that second they're absolutely <laughs> gonna be like all right we we conflict with them we're sneaking into the kingdom and killing that person yeah and That's then the power gamer answer but if you then want to play a uh a freaking uh, meat grinder, right? And you have a bunch of storytellers, you're probably going to have a lot of pissed off players. Power gamers don't like meat grinders either. No one likes, no, they mean, don't no like having, really their, having the characters ground up. How about a, an old style dungeon dive then, right? <laughs> dungeon dive. Um, But it's, you know, you can get a pulse as to generally what's going to be at your table. You know, when I, uh, when I pitched several ideas, uh, for the Strahd campaign, Strahd was one of them. And I pitched a couple others that I was like, I'd be cool with running this. And I got enough back saying, ooh, Strahd would be cool. So I was like, okay, they want to do some gothic horror. They don't mind some investigating. They don't mind some exploring. They don't mind trying to go after a seriously badass villain too, right? Uh, so it gave me a sense of what do you want to play? And then whatever class you want to play, I don't care. You can all be a bunch of rogues or or bards, that would be kind of cool, right? Just a just weird monk. Just like the Partridge family ends up in Barovia, right? <laughs> I really want Tony to DM a Wujia campaign with all monks. Come on, Tony, you can do it. Run the campaign yeah. where we all play. No, monks. I, I mean, I, I, I might be able to do it if there was all Oriental ca adventures characters. That might be interesting, but well, that's not enough. Like I'm saying, that's kind of the uh, the text uh, campaign I'm doing with my brothers is kind of a Uja film where all kind of general monk style characters. You know, it sounds like a Shaw Brothers film that went off the rails a little bit. Yeah, it's I like mean, I'll revisit it. I got pulled into a campaign one time where it was very Game of Thrones esque and. I, I didn't really get a deal for that going into it. And I'm like, okay, so he's upstairs. Let's just go kill that guy. And they're like, no, no, we must form alliances first. I'm like, he's <laughs> right upstairs. Let's go whack him right <laughs> now. <laughs> they weren't having it. They are like, like freaking hold me down. I'm like, oh, this is the worst. Like, <laughs> like the Austin, that's like Austin Powers when he puts him in the excessively complex trap and they close it. And like this guy, she's like, why don't you, I can't got a gun in my room. I could just shoot him right now. We could do it together. He's like, no, I must put him in this exceedingly complex trap and not know if he escapes. <laughs>
Oh, with one inept guard at the door. Yes, that's exactly right. <laughs> but I mean, that's important because that's going to change. You know, if you have a bunch of actors and you throw them in a seriously high combat environment, a bunch of encounters, they're probably not going to have as much. I mean, they might, but they might not have as much fun. So get well, a sense of who's playing, right? Well, in this scenario, I was a vampire. And I'm like, okay, so I'm a vampire and I'm not going to go kick this guy's ass. All right. Was that a World of Darkness campaign? Suck on the, my, my blood bag here. Was that a World of Darkness campaign? Was that one of these things where if you break vampire rules, all the vampires kill you? Uh, there was, I don't know if it was, it was, it was actually White Wolf. It wasn't specifically that. But yeah, there was like, oh, there's all these other structures and people are watching you. And it's like, they're really not. Like, let's just let's do some stuff. And I guess I've I've never played a vampire campaign. I respect how they seem to be so concerned with politics and pol and, and, and like social structure. The I don't think courts I can do it. of the vampires, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the vampire courts. Well, I understand that what they're trying to do there is they're trying to explain why these vampires aren't destroying the earth as we speak. If they're so incredibly powerful and awesome with all these resources, yeah, why, why yeah, why aren't they running everything? So I get that. But at the same time, I really felt like I was locked in a room. I'm like, okay, so since there'll be no combat tonight, I guess I'm going to investigate. <laughs> Which is investigators are fantastic is fantastic in the right scenario. Like we've run some Call of Cthulhu yeah. games, we've done some mysteries. The investigator's your guy. If you're taking him out in the wilderness, not so helpful. You know, it's funny because actually a lot of Call of Cthulhu does happen in the wilderness. <laughs> but it's more of an Indiana Jones type wilderness. It's a wilderness you're kind of traveling yeah. through to get to the to get to the next obscene thing happening. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But then you find you find your guys who are trying to find a mystery. I'm like, there's no mystery here. I'm sorry. No. That's there's some broken tree branches. There is a dead person here, but he's dead. It's you clearly figured out how he died. Can we can we please move on? I <laughs> know. Uh, I would like to do a medicine check. I need to see how <laughs> what hour he died. For so, fuck's sake, he's been stabbed. He has a knife in his back. He's dead. He's got suicide note. It's done. To come back to an idea we kind of touched on a few minutes ago, in your opinion, when you come into the game, how much of that, how much of the game is your responsibility and your responsibility to adjust to players versus how much of it is you all got to come together and have fun together and kind of all be in on this? Am I even yes. phrasing that properly? Tony, yes. what do you think? I think that fun is the is ultimately the most important thing for everybody involved, because if everybody's not having fun, just like the rules, like okay, the rules are here. They're great. Um, if they prevent us having fun in the continuity of your game for some reason, eh, like, you know, like I, we've we've called out before in the original version of D&D, &D, your dwarf goes to level nine and then oh, that's it, buddy. Sorry, it's you're not tall enough to get in the ride anymore. You are a dwarf. Uh, but we threw that rule out and didn't look back and nobody cared because the system was great and minus some things that were problematic, eh, we, we could all still have a good time. Dave? Yeah, I, I think the answer to what Thorne was saying is yes. Um, but again, it very just like there's different if 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 you guys haven't been getting a sense of it yet, listeners, um you're getting a sense of it now is that just like there's different types of players, the actor, the explorer, the instigator, whatever, there's different types of DMs too. And there's nothing wrong with that um, because it's all about getting those right combinations. And you don't know what those right combinations are yet. There are some storytellers who love to prep 
and have a huge story and a plot and all the beats and a climax at the end and the big band. And that's awesome. And then there's DMs like Thorin who literally will just throw you out in the woods and go, what do you want to do? You, you go northwest, east or south. Those are your ways. And I got something for you because it doesn't matter. But, you know, I'm, I'm responding to you. And both of those extremes are awesome and everything in between. So I think it's just finding that mixture of DM and player and allowing the room to breathe and for those things to all be okay too. I think that's part of it is that we all want it to be one way and that's just, just gotta be the way it is. And we don't give the chance to have something be different and maybe super fun too. Mm, well said. Yeah. So it's, you know, where do these things start crossing, though, in ways that are kind of tricky? So, I mean, we've talked about, you know, I do think sometimes with my solid DMing, the storyteller can be challenging uh, because the storyteller wants to enjoy really and they, the kind of the forms that kind of are really kind of pushing back to DM drive the story don't work as well with my style of DMing. Um, I'm pretty comfortable going down the list. I'm pretty comfortable with actors. Uh, pretty comfortable with explorers, although I'm going to prep differently for explorers. And with actors, too, I'm going to have to you know, put on my acting cap, uh, make sure I can voice some NPCs. Investigators, honestly, that's a little... i got to build some depth in if I'm dealing with an investigator. Uh, power gamers, no problem. Interesting encounters, let them show off. Slayers, again, not much of a problem. Let them show off, although I have had some times where players where Slayers didn't want to accept some of the downsides in the universe. You know, the first <laughs> Slayers didn't want to hear they weren't the baddest people in the town, <laughs> which is which, which could be problematic because, you know, along with letting kicking it back to you, I'm also going to put some constraints on you in the form of, well, yeah, but there's that dragon. He will still eat you. So that is one of the problems you need to contend with. Or there are 50 town guards that are currently arresting you now for murdering a man in the streets. Like, <laughs> And if you're playing in Ultima, they're all level 12 guards. Yes. Yet there's still crime in here somehow. I mean, the storyteller and the watcher are a little trickier for me. Uh, well, the watcher, I mean, the storyteller is a little trickier um, simply because, you know, they're waiting for me to tell them a story that I may not actively have. I mean, I sort of will. We'll have things going on, but they're going to need to engage with it to get it, not the other way around. I'm not usually feeding it to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. Thinkers, thinkers are interesting because I actually think as a player, like I said, I think if I had to build myself as a player, I'm probably thinker, power gamer, a little bit actor, a little bit, uh, in that my characters are usually very background driven, even though I'm not going to do a lot of funny voices. Um, so those, and I can kind of engage with them and understand it. And I will kick things back. I like having a thinker because I will simply give them a hard decision and watch the party sweat it out. You know, you get them good and scared. You make them understand their characters can die. Now, okay, now you guys come up with what you want to do. And the thinker will usually come up with a good plan. The watcher is great, but you need some people in the game who can keep the watcher moving. You know, I'm not necessarily going to pull them along like you normally would. So that's that's how I think of when I look at these kind of eight character, eight player types. That's how I think of how I interact with them as a DM. And some of the little things I might do differently, like investigators and uh, explorers, I'm going to. I, if I recognize that, I should basically flesh out some other things in the world. Uh, what about you guys? Like, I mean, how do you feel going up and down this list? Like, who do you interact well with and who do you maybe not? I Sorry? think the explorer is super easy because, like, hey, I'm here to explore. I'm like, great, I'm here to run a game. And that's, a, and that, that's like <laughs> peanut butter and jelly. Uh, I think everything else I've had varied success with. I've had some great success with the instigator and the next thing i know the instigator just killed the town sheriff 
And everyone's like, <laughs> what just happened? And here come all the town's guards. People are getting arrested. We're like, well, we just shit the bed of this module, folks. I guess we're not working for the king anymore. See, um, I like that because th- to me, that's not shitting the bed in the module. To me, that is okay. Now we do some interesting things. We get to have a trial or we get to have you guys try to break out of prison. <laughs> So I mean, one time I was uh, I was in Nightmare Keep. This is the, this is like the beginning of Nightmare Keep, and I forget exactly how this played out. But the bottom line was I was my rogue was stealing, and he got caught. And you know, instead of talking our way out of this, we could have we could have we could have talked, we could have you know bribed some guards, smooth talked. No, the my party fighter, my buddy Gary, just unloaded on the shark. Oh. And I'm like, Jesus <laughs> Christ, man. Like, and it, it was, yeah, it was a real. So I'm like, okay, so we need to get to this horrifyingly dangerous place, and now the king wants to hang us. All right, now we got the double threat here. We got to save the kingdom, and maybe we'll get a pardon. So that that can be an interesting dynamic. Skyrim. Uh, yeah, a little bit like that, and then I'll steal some cheese while I'm at it. Um, the Watcher can be tough if you can't figure out how to engage them. Then you hit a wall. Then you may find yourself with a player who's not super invested in their character, may not have a great grasp of the character's abilities, and isn't really even clicking with the other party members. That's where I think I could hit a tough spot. Dave? Yeah, uh, every uh, campaign I've run, I've had a mixture of almost every single one of these in every single campaign. Um, and then I've had some that have been all instigators. Uh, that's interesting. Oh I played in all instigators. That was it. Was it was very chaotic, but in a way, it was good Average for that group. Time, nine minutes. Yeah, that's the way that group played. Uh, strangely enough, it was Bonnie's family. So there you go. I don't know what that tells you, but there it is. But that was kind of fun because then we would all kind of take a, a, a turn in the DM chair and then everyone would be trying to one up the other people. Right. So that, it was cool for that group. Right. Um, but uh, I'll go to the Strahd campaign uh, because I think I have one of every single one of these in the Strahd campaign currently. Uh, some of you are mixtures of them, as we've said, but I have every single one of these and I have the story that I'm giving um that's there right um and then depending on where you go what you do how what you decide is going to change that but i have the overall plot obviously um and then i'll just feed things out and if you guys respond to that then cool i'll do little side message stuff you know i did a little of that today to a couple people i throw it out there if they want to throw it back, that's cool. If not, that's cool too, because it's still going. And you just try to little by little engage them in what are they into. And you try to give them a little of that each time. So if you have a game that has combat encounters and social stuff and and exploration, then you'll be hitting all of those beats. And as long as they're not, I want it all to be the way I want it to be for every, well, that's going to be a problem, but. If you hit all of those beats, then everybody's getting something out of the session. And sometimes those people start to turn into something else. The power gamer turns into the explorer. 
or the the thinker because they start to realize when you start throwing some insane encounter on them that oh i can't just beat my way out of this thorn you were talking about this before you know the skyrim idea yeah. you know there are certain areas where they'll level with you and then there are other areas where you can't go yet because you're just not powerful enough you know but that'll make you start to think you want some constraint and bound. I like in the my style of DMing, I like to use some constraint and boundary creatures where these monsters let the players know you can't go there yet. You can't take that on yet. Or if you have a great, you might have a great plan. And sometimes players come up with a way to take that out anyway. Awesome. But that's, that's the theory there. Absolutely. The, uh, this past session, no spoilers, but um, the, uh, the hags and Strahd, the party uh, dealt with them quite interestingly. You know, and it turned very different than what I was expecting, which was this is going to go really bad because they haven't had a long rest yet. <laughs> I, think, I think we got some we got some, we got a little bit of DM mercy in that encounter. Uh, there was a little, but it was a it was appropriate for, uh, you know, I'm going to give it back to Chris Perkins. I don't know what the fuck you're thinking, bro, right in that encounter, okay? Because I saw you DM it yourself on Dice Game Action, and you changed all of them to a lower level, so don't <laughs> So write it differently, all right? I'm calling you out, Perkins. Right, Call it out. We need to give some background here uh, without, <laughs> with, without too many spoilers, but the background here that we're discussing is a party of fifth-level players in Strahd went after the uh, the windmill which has yes. three night hags by design. Yes. We weren't fifth level at the time. We're fourth. What do you say? Are five? we fourth then? Yeah, you were yeah. fourth level. You just turned fifth at the end of this encounter. Cause I had to give it to you at that point. My God. So I will say, so had I done that myself, that party would have run into the three night hags and probably lost. And uh, then I would have taken it in the direction of, okay, so now you're locked up and something bad's going to happen to you. Yeah, I, 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 sacrifice I, tossed, that around. I tossed that around. You know, I kind of went back and forth for a week and went, ah, what do I want to do? Ah, what do I want to do? Ah, what do I want to do? Ah, you well, know. So, so you made it, but actually, did you, because we did it that, that day, didn't we? Didn't we came across the windmill and encountered the hags the same session, I think. You guys had already uh, encountered um, three werewolves. You had uh, you almost had got an encounter with a pack of dire wolves, which you uh, got yourselves out of, uh, you know, well, uh, by not being power gamers and slayers. Uh, you thought you were right through it. Um, and then and then you arrive at this. And then by that point, you've already beat out a lot of your stuff. And now you're you guys are like, let's just kick in the door. And I'm like, oh, this is going to go really bad. I was fresh as a daisy. I don't know what everyone else was worried about. Well, the well, yeah, burn was always on his side. Aren't night hags like CR five or CR seven yes, or something? CR five, yeah, they're CR five. So we were a party. We we were we were six fourth level characters going into a an encounter with three fifth CR five. Oh, here's night here's so for for the listeners. Here's just a real quick um for where I am currently with the game I'm running. This is kind of how I went about it. So initially it's written as three night hags. Um, there are multiple points in the module where they warn you that it's a TPK, you know, and you'll see people talking about on Reddit, whatever. And you um, do have NPCs that literally tell you, don't, don't mess with the yeah, night hags. Yeah, don't like the whole thing them. is built. Don't do this. So I'm looking at three night hags and I said, all right. And I saw that, like I said, the man who wrote the adventure decided when he put a party through it to put them against three green hags. 
all three green eyes. So way lower. And it was still a pretty intense uh, confrontation. So I said, one, power-wise and counter-wise, but two, narratively. I said, why would there be three night hikes together in a coven? That makes no sense. They're all as powerful. Mm -hmm. So instead, it was kind of like a mother and her daughter. So narratively, within the story, that also made more sense to me. And I like to meet those things. Like Tony says with storytelling, if I'm throwing something out, I want it to play real. I want to play the monster the way it might be. Right. Uh, there's the one guy, Keith, uh, Keith Annam. He does the uh, monsters know what they're doing. Uh, the tactics book. Yep. But it's like if you have a stupid monster, it's not going to be doing this brilliant tactician stuff. And if you have a brilliant tactician, it's not just going to rush headlong into the fray. So I like to kind of play it that way, too. So there you go. There's a little background into a into the old bone grinder uh, chapter. So. You know, I thought it was cool. We had a great time. I still think we might have been TPK'd, except for two of the hags were knocked off by a suggestion spell. Had that not happened, we only really killed one hag, and the other two ran were 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 let off with a very good suggestion. Um, uh, listeners, the- listeners, make sure you read what monsters are <laughs> not vulnerable. <laughs> but that wasn't what I was going to get to. Yeah, um, that actually probably saved the party. But you know, it's interesting. And it was a cool, it was a cool yeah. role play scene too. It was yeah. a cool story. It was a cool way to think yourself out of it. But was, so here's how I think about that. And it's a little different. So we're living, we're, we're, our characters are living in Barovia right now. And the idea is they're supposed to be afraid of the things that are coming for them because they can seriously mess them up. We have had one character show up who we're afraid of, that's Strahd. Um, But otherwise, we've pretty much been able to bravado our way through everything. You know, werewolves, zombies, dire wolves. We did send a we did send a uh, a, a pixie a sprite familiar out as dog meat bait for the dire wolves. That was fun. <laughs> but honestly, I'm pretty sure we could have taken the dire wolves anyway. We come up to these night hags, and what you what you could have done, what I might have done as a player instead, was red capped it, like I did with the red caps. We've talked about yeah. this before. When I put six level two CR two red caps against six level two characters, because one. I did not read the freaking rules and I did not understand CR2 well enough yet at the time, but okay. The red caps get the beat down. The party gets captured. They're taken to be sacrificed to something that made sense in the story. And now the party's afraid of the red caps. So now I have a party that understands they are not going to win every fight they have. So there's two different ways to do it. And this is not at all meant to be kind of a, a an indictment of how you did it. Cause it was no, fun. No, no. It was really hard. It worked. I think it worked fine. But, you know, sometimes it helps to be conscious of what you get out of what you did, right? So what you got was a good story and a good encounter and the players feeling stronger even because they keep just rolling everything. What you could have had, maybe not worth more, but just, you know, understanding your options, was a constraint encounter to teach the players you can't beat everything in this world. You need to be more careful and, and yeah. plan better. Yeah. So those are the that's the choice you make there. And it's a good choice either way. But I think it's important as DMs to really get this the what we've been calling the art of DMing to understand the implications yeah. of those choices. You teach players how to engage with your game by choosing to downgrade the encounter and have the play, have something the players can take on. You're teaching them that if you're that if you're brave and smart, you can take anything. You're stronger. You can do it. Be bold. By not downsizing it and having the players get their ass kicked, you're teaching them <laughs> you have to be careful. This world will beat you. I don't care if you live or die. Don't, that's on you. 
don't die. Yeah, I agree. I agree entirely. I do. I do. And that's, I was going, like I said, I was going back and forth. Tone, so we're going through this and we're getting a little bit of a, of a real, you know, real time background into our different styles. Tony, with this idea, what, how would you have gone about it? You know, what do you think you would have, what would you have adjusted? Would you have well, changed? What would you let do? Let me just say that all CR5 monsters are not created equally. So honestly, like I, they, Thorin, they, I think he's still a little sore from the last Storm King session. <laughs> maybe, but they um. Hey, I, that guy ran into a Cuisinart. I mean, <laughs> I'm I'm curious how you would have dealt with that encounter straight up. And in my experience, especially where I have some experienced players uh, at the table, this is where they go. Okay, this is a serious fight. And this is where the good ideas start really popping. Mm. This is where something memorable happens, where they're like, okay, we're just not going to rush in, slam into them, and mop them up. Somebody needs to use something in the environment. Someone needs to bust a magical item they were hanging on to. Someone needs a really creative idea. Maybe someone draws we draws them apart and separates, and we divide and conquer them. Something. Maybe you back out of the tower. Maybe you try to bottleneck them in the freaking doorway. I've seen some guys get super creative in those, you know, heart pounding 9-11 kind of moments. Necessity is the mother of mother of invention. The one thing I'll say about about this encounter, though, is for a it is set up in a way that is hard to pre-plan around. You've been warned they're too tough and you should stay away from them. You don't know what they are. You don't know about their powers. And if you haven't looked at Night Hag, the Night Hags can literally move into the ethereal plane where they are invisible and you can't touch them and then come out wherever they want to be. So it is a really, I mean, as far as like monsters that you can creatively deal with, three Night Hags with that ability is going to be really hard. So I'm the kind of player who usually comes up with those plans. I usually come up with cool things that kind of get us out of stuff. That's really hard because you've got no way to constrain where they're going because they have phasing. Uh, They can attack you in your dreams and make sure you don't get any sleep, which Dave has done before with a night hag to great effect. And as I look, huh? Love it. I love it because it gives you all the narrative too, the dreams and the weirdness. Yeah. And looking at it, they can do that to the whole party. There's like nothing stopping the night hags to coming to the whole party in their dreams, attacking them and making sure they don't get any sleep. And like, I just don't think, I think if you're playing the night hags to kill, I don't see how the players at fifth level aren't getting obliterated. Like, yeah, yeah. I got the tricks. I mean, the suggestion, that was my trick. I thought, Hey, we're, this is a tough fight. I can maybe get rid of two of them with one suggestion. And it worked great. Never mind the thing. Why did it work? (laughs) Because the DM wasn't paying attention. That's why it worked. But no, again, it was a great, it was a great, um, I might've even allowed it anyway, because like, I just, I dig that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but, uh, but what I will say too, is that, you know, the session ended, blah, blah, blah. And now, you know, because, you know, spoilers, two of them escaped. Now they have these two women where they were just trying to sell pies and these people just kick their door in and start beating them to death. So they're probably going to be a little pissed, you know? So now we got some enemies maybe for later I on. I hate food you know? pies. <laughs> anyway, that is one of the creepiest stories in Castle, in, in the even the Ravenloft. Uh, in, in, as far as what's going on with those pies is Man, really, they go, they go I'm not going to spoil it. But. They go dark with this. Yeah. This book is dark. <laughs> <laughs> well, There's no yeah, shame. Inside a coffin in there. 
man, it's yeah. yeah, it's like the it's the Christmas blend. It's 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 you know Sumatra. It's like woo, it's it's a bold roast. But I, I mean, so to me though, that's just the one thing I really want. As a DM, I try to keep this in mind, and I'd really just you know, as for our listeners, you know, it's it's the one thing I I really try to think about when you're engaging with the players in these encounters. What are you teaching them about your world? Because that's going to teach how they play the game with you. So in this situation, the yeah. players are emboldened and they're going to be bolder going forward because they've learned they can deal with anything they come across, which is great if that's what you want. The other option would have been to, okay, really beat the players down, maybe kill some players. And now they are more careful and they're, and they're, and they're going to go through things more deliberately. So depending on how you want your party playing really should determine how you play that encounter. Do you want them bold and brave and going at it? Or do you want them careful and cautious and understanding their characters could die at any time and caring about it? You're teaching that. That's a good point. That's a good point. At the same time, I don't want a whole party of Richard Pryors. Okay. Like I don't want people that a skit they did, I think it was on a living color where Richard Pryor was like pouring cereal. It's like, ah, it's so terrifying. It's like go in the go in the building, guys. Please. I'm I would love to DM Richard line. Pryor. If there's if there's if limits if then, bring players from heaven, Richard Pryor's on my list, definitely. That goes back to uh traumatized players, right, Tony? That's that's <laughs> yeah. 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 where you've been beat to it, like you're just you're shaking in a corner like a beaten dog. <laughs> you know what? I I'll tell you right now, there was one time I was in one of Thorne's games and First of all, the, the, one of the most terminal mistakes that occurred in this encounter was we did split the party. But I had most of the party with me. And we discovered this one sage who my wizard had been friendly with was, in fact, a cultist. So it was like that scene from Star Wars Episode Three, where Waste Windu and the other three Master Jedi walk in there. And we walk into his study and we're like, look, man, we know you're a cultist. And he's like, are you threatening me? And next thing you know, he turns into this horrifying monster. And we I have- am the Senate. <laughs> and we have this pitch battle. And I'm like, what is happening here? He was an 83-year-old man 20 seconds ago. Meanwhile, uh, two of the other uh, players are like, sitting around. My heart to hear this retold. Oh, and, that's awesome. And, you know, I, I, I had um, two of the other players were, like, at the bar. They're like, yeah, ha, ha, I have another beer. They have no idea about what's happening. And it was actually so bad, I had to run and get help. That's how bad that encounter was. That so was, as, that was, as, that I tell was my players before, as I tell my players before every game, I don't care if you die. <laughs> He does say that. And then and then you start to realize the reality of the situation, which is that he does care, you know, because he doesn't want to just completely obliterate you. But if you if you do stupid shit, he's going to he's going to let you go. You know, well, that's just... <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm going to put you and actually, I would say. So the one thing that has come up sometimes is a problem with this DMing style is with the wrong players. See, I need players who are willing to accept the consequences of their actions for their characters and to roll with that is an interesting part of the story. So sometimes, you know, we talked about one of my players quit because his character got killed. Um, another, you know, we recently had a player quit because he had a, one of his characters captured in the Don John from a deck of many things that they were warned not to play with. <laughs> and he, and, and, and he, I was like, he was going to be have to play another character for a few adventures to get this dude back. And he was that like totally ruined it for him. Like I really, 
I am going to let you live with the consequences of your actions. That's really kind of one of the core root of what I'm trying to do here. You are driving the action. You get to do whatever you want to do, but you, you have to live with those consequences for your characters. So because of that, you know, it can, that can be abrasive sometimes. And sometimes you could say, I don't care enough about that the players enjoy what happened to them because I'm thinking, well, they chose what happened to them and they need to accept the consequences. That's part of the game. And it's a little bit like gambling, right? You don't get your money back, but a lot of players don't enjoy that aspect of gaming. And I got to be careful with that. You know, I need players that have buy-in or willing to accept the consequences. And when I don't have that, I got to decide, am I going to run this party or am I going to DM a little differently? Or am I just going to piss people off and, you know, blame them? <laughs> I think it goes, yeah, I, I would say some of that makes me think of, it goes back to what we were talking about. Uh, I had said about like the watchers or mm. the audience members. Uh, but a lot of people that they don't, especially newer players, um, they don't know their power as a player. And I don't mean the powers as their character, but the powers within the game. People don't realize what, rpgs really are because the most that they've probably gotten in touch with an rpg is skyrim or red dead redemption or final fantasy right yeah. a computer game where it's like i make a character dumb boom 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 whatever this is so different you know so that idea that you're in an encounter well i gotta fight my way out some people don't even think that you can retreat they don't even realize that that's an option they don't know well, that you can that. do that yeah you know so there, there's some of balancing with that, too, whether it's people who are familiar with how a real tabletop RPG plays or not, because it can really change the psychology, especially if you, uh, you know, you start throwing battle mats down or something. You just think, oh, my God, well, I got to fight now. Well, that's why I prefer theater of the mind. Honestly, what you just described right there. Now, you do have one of the things that's kind of a subtext between the three of us DMing is you can tell if you listen between the lines, we each have very different experiences with how we've built our with how we've built our games and parties. Tony keeps saying how this guy played the, ninth, the character for the ninth time. It's the same character. I don't have many players who've played nine campaigns with me. <laughs> By and large, I've and like I talked about before, like I so he I DM'd. killed them all. And no, no, that's not it. Actually, it's more because I've moved. You know, I spent a year in Holland where I played with the people who were around me. When I went to college, I played with the people who were around me. When I came back home, I played with the people who were around me, which was a new group. You yeah. know, so I've always been I tend to have new groups in the campaign and play for a long time. When we started this round of DMing we're, of, of gaming we're doing, Dave, you were in the group I started with. Yeah, so I, yeah. I started two games, one with right with uh, with uh, people from a writer's group who were not who, who weren't playing at the time. And then another one with my old buddies, Tony and some of our friends over there who had played for a long time. So, like, I'm used to starting games for that that include a lot of new players, where I want to include a lot of new players, and therefore I want to drive home to them that you can do whatever you want. Don't think of this, you know, don't think of this like a video game. Ergo, I tend to not want battle maps. I tend to throw it back to them and say, hey, what do you want to do? And make them think that way so they engage with the game that way. Mm. Whereas Tony, a lot of times, Tony, you've basically, you've played a lot with a lot of the same players, haven't you? Yes, I have. I've had some players who have been in my games on and off for 20 years. Yeah. Um, and with that, it is much harder to entertain somebody who's been playing for 20 years. They've seen it. They've done it. So my storylines have to be really on point. And that's why I usually use my, I, you know, you just, you, you've purchased a train ticket with me. The downside <laughs> to that is, I mean, while I do allow some degree of agency in that game, if you're not buying into my story, it tanks. 
this is where yeah. it absolutely completely derails. Like, I have a story, and you're here to do this story, and if you're like, meh, I don't really like the story, that's what happened in my superhero game. Unfortunately, yep. my superheroes didn't want to be superheroes. Well, I thought that was a basically a kind of a invisible contract we had there when you put on the tape. That you'd I, be feel it's, it's, I feel like it's in the title. I feel like it's in the title. <laughs> I, you know, I felt like that really didn't require a deep explanation, but I was mistaken. And they're like, yeah, when we say we're superheroes, what we mean we're more like a loose, chaotic, neutral, sometimes neutral evil. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like you're like the red skull like what's happening <laughs> you're Dude, running hydra expansion super super villains yeah. i'm like well they're just gonna take everything i had prepared for this campaign and throw it over my shoulder because it's freaking toast and i gotta say uh, some of my some of my style is also as we've talked about if you caught uh, i think episode one some of my style is informed by playing in some of these games that Tony had that went off the rails, where my takeaway as a young player, because he was DMing me when I really hadn't DMed very much, was that, man, I love it when they go off the rails. That's the most creative, interesting part. I want to DM to enable that. So it's kind of interesting that these styles are really, the styles meet the needs of the players and the group you're in, and they influence each other. So, Dave, yeah. have we traumatized you? Do you sure you still want to stay a DM? Oh no, I love it because what I have what uh tell you the truth, as I've been uh as I've been gaming with you guys specifically, um I've been pulling a lot from both of you uh in terms of things I like, things I I don't necessarily, but like, ooh, I why am I not doing that? Oh, why am I oh I'm definitely not gonna do that, but why am I so uh so I love that because all it does is inform my uh my abilities because as I've said in the past, there's no limit to to how far you can go in this hobby. This is not like, you know, like something like chess. And I'm not I'm not uh, downing chess, but there is a there is a finite limit to the amount of moves that can work in that game, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you can spend 40 years mastering those, and I I give them all the credit. But like I'm not I, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here. But you know, sitting down at the D and D table, you have no idea what is going to happen <laughs> so that is something that that's a big part of what excites me about being behind the screen i love playing but i love dming because there's there's just so much more to it you know yeah. there's so much more to it I but no DMing. i'm not traumatized by it i I, th I think it's great you know i love seeing how different people play and run and all of it i love playing but I also like being a player because that really helps improve my game. And I have to completely agree with that. Uh, at one point, I was doing all the DMing, and quite honestly, I got stale. And that's where I ran into some problems because I've got nothing to measure myself up against of what a successful game looks like. And on almost every campaign I've played in, some DM did something that I liked. Yeah, there was absolutely a takeaway. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it's you bring up a good thing, to, a good point there, too, because I've also been in that situation where I was doing all the DMing before. And, you know, especially if you're coming into a new system like fifth edition, if you're only DMing it, you're not really understanding how the system works because you need to get that player perspective to understand how the system works, what you can do with it, how the players engage with it in order to really be a full DM, I think. So that's 
Yeah, I, I totally agree that I really think it's important to play NDM. You you have your own games that are important to you, but if you're not playing somewhere for someone else, I think yeah, I don't think you're going to grasp what you're doing. As Tony said, you're not, you know, you're not you're going to get stale. You know, as Dave said, you're not going to learn these things um, if you're just if you're just DMing. You got to get over there and cross the line and be the kind of player you were born to be. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but I'll say, uh, especially for like, you know, I'm I'm currently sitting here talking with the, you know, the the Thorin Oakenshield and, and Gandalf the Grey of D&D, right? And you know, I'm the Bilbo, right? But um, it's a good point in terms of especially uh, new people getting behind the screen, especially uh, these days, because there is so much out there. Uh, even if you don't have tons of, of groups to play with, you know, and different people, you have tons of DMs to see. You can go on YouTube or whatever and see tons and tons of people that have been doing it for 30 years running a game. And it gives a lot of people the ability to see what is D&D even, you know, and I think that that's a great resource for people uh, to be able to, to to find tricks, just like, you know. Uh, my nephew watches the Knicks. It doesn't mean he's that level of basketball player, but it doesn't mean he's not picking some stuff up, you know. Although, how many four to eight hour streams can you fit into your life? Yeah, I mean, uh, like one, maybe, <laughs> you know. Like, and even that is, I got to say, as much as I love, like, you know, the CR guys, like, there's a point where I'm like, bro, could you, like, give me, like, a like a one hour recap? <laughs> I just got <laughs> A quick edit. Yeah, something, yeah. So, you know, we've covered a lot of ground here today. We've talked a lot about the different types of players. So let's kind of round up with some final thoughts. And I'm going to go first this time. You know, we've talked here about the types of players. And I think what I take away from it is, one, yeah, know your types of players, learn to recognize the types of players you're DMing. But also notice that 5th edition kind of ditched this idea in favor of a what style of game are you running. And I think there's a really important lesson there. As a DM, you're a player, too. And I think sometimes a DM takes too much responsibility to, 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 to making sure everyone else is happy. You know, you're not responsible for everyone's fun. I would say take the player types, let it inform how you DM, take the game types and, and have a conversation before the game with your players about what kind of game are you going to run so they're all on board with it. But then you need to play in a way that you're going to enjoy too. So my final thought on this is, yeah, important, good to know. You can pick up a lot of nuance by understanding your players and how to engage them and doing that right. You can pick up even more nuance by setting expectations in the beginning and making sure everyone's on board. Don't feel like it's all your fault if it doesn't work. Everyone's a little bit responsible for this. You might be a little more responsible, but it's unless you're being paid to DM, it is not your job. Everyone's responsible for the fun. You do your part, they do their part. I think that knowing your players is pretty critical, but you don't always have that luxury. Sometimes I've sat down at a table and I'm like, well, it's a pleasure to DM for you for the first time. So you kind of have to pick this up on the fly. You have to throw things out there and see what these players respond to. And sometimes you don't have a whole lot of time to figure out what everybody likes. I recommend getting feedback um, for your established players that have been in your campaign for a very long time. I would encourage them to step out of their comfort zone, come at them, make some recommendations. If they want to stay, it's an idea they have, fine. I have let characters run with character, I, players run with character ideas that I, I they pitched to me. I'm like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, okay, <laughs> all right, final answer, this is what we're doing. And then I later found out this character would develop and be fantastic. So I didn't see that in the beginning. But then again, 
if I was a director and I was in an office and someone came in with the Power Rangers when they first debuted, I would have thrown them the hell out. I'm like, this is a terrible idea. What are you guys doing? Karate and dancing and you're growing like this is this is garbage. And, you know, I would have just thrown out a fantastic, you know, concept that would have uh, went on to made millions and millions of dollars. And all these movies, all these series. I mean, I would have train wrecked myself. You would have thrown away time, so much money. I feel that you yeah you're right it's not entirely on you but at the same time you have to be sensitive to player feedback even in the things that they don't say like see how they respond to your ideas see who you're and don't be afraid at the end of the first session be like what do you think like honestly like what do you like don't just say like, don't bobblehead me be like oh this is great you know like no i want to know you know what worked we spent too long in town did you want to see some more more role play not enough monsters Lay it on me and build from there. Dave? Oh, man. This is going to be so boring because I, I think this is the first time that we've all kind of agreed on this stuff at the end. Be um, brave and disagree with us then. Yeah, no, I love it. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start off with what you just ended with, Tony, which is what we have talked about, I think, in every single episode so far, which is communication. You know, keep those lines open. But um, one, problem players are not necessarily problem players. Take a look at what's at your table, okay? Uh, as Soren said, do your session zero work. Pitch your campaign. Give a couple ideas. See what they want. Because if if you are having them negotiate with Cersei Lannister and they want to kill Thanos, they're probably going to be at odds with each other. Other than that, just keep playing. Keep uh, running games. Keep playing in games. Keep curating a group. Uh, every group is going to play a little different. Um, and leave enough room for everyone to do what they do best. Let the actors act and the storytellers tell stories and the explorers explore and the power gamers kill everything in sight. Uh, but let everyone have their fun and help the DM along too. There you go. There's a final thought. Got to tell you, I ain't pitching shit. <laughs> you players want to play with me you get in the train get get, get in we're hunting dinosaurs buy your ticket <laughs> tickets please you buy you yeah, buy we're your fighting space dinosaurs that's right <laughs> so, uh, guys thanks again i had a great time talking with you tonight this is a lot of fun absolutely Always. my pleasure guys and thanks for all of you for listening to us again. These, the, 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 you know, we all appreciate you taking the time and uh, you know listening to what we have to say. And we hope it's helpful for your game. It'll get more helpful for your game if you can let us know what you want to hear about. So we would love to get your feedback. 3wisedms.com has a feedback form you can you can drop questions into or let us know what you want to hear us talk about and give us feedback. We also have a, our email address is 3wisedms at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you there. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. All is 3wisedm. So anywhere you want to talk to us and let us know what you think and what kind of thing you could use you could use help on or what kind of thing we could cover to help your game, we'd love to hear it. So we hope to see you next time on 3wisedms. DMs.